when you're talking about coming in and trying to do things right, most chiefs that are trying to come in and do things right, quite honestly, and it just is what it is, you know, those departments don't pay much money. You know, you, you, I made when I took that first chief job, I made less money taking a chief job than I did as a detective where I was working at. But for me, it was about the opportunity. It was about the opportunity. How many times in my life am I going to get an opportunity to become a police chief and have an effect on a community near where I grew up that I know needs that help? You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. What's going on, my good people? Welcome to the latest installment of the Black and Blue Podcast. My name is Dale, and I'm the host of this program. Thank you all, first-timers and veterans of the show alike, for tuning in. I appreciate you and your support. Please continue to support by heading over to the Black and Blue Podcast YouTube channel and smashing those like and subscribe buttons. And if you're listening to me on your favorite podcast platform, be sure to rate the show five stars if you deem it worthy. Lastly, Please check me out on my various social media pages for more content. You can find me everywhere at Black and Blue U.S. All right, now, so my guest today is the chief of police of a town just outside of the Windy City of Chicago, Illinois. Everybody, let's give a warm Black and Blue welcome to Hazelcrest, Illinois Police Chief Mitchell Davis. How you doing, sir? I'm great. Honored to be here. I appreciate being part of your broadcast. I appreciate you coming on. How's everything out there in, in Hazelcrest, Illinois today? You know what? It's been quiet. Uh, uh, the weather here in the Chicagoland area is above normal, which is always a good thing in October. So we get a little bit of, of, of comfortable weather still. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, so I mentioned in the, uh, in the monologue there that... Uh, Hazelcrest, Illinois is just outside of Chicago. T- tell us a little bit about uh, Hazelcrest, Illinois. Uh, <clears throat> Hazelcrest is right outside the south side of Chicago, and it's pretty much an extension of the south side of Chicago, just like any other major metropolitan area. Uh, if you're not from here, you, you don't know where Chicago ends and other contiguous suburbs begins and begin. And, you know, it takes just a couple minutes. minutes to get to Chicago from Hazelcrest. And, you know, once again, this is just basically an extension the south side of Chicago, a little bit different, but we have some of the same challenges that exist in the city of Chicago. Um, we're, our population here is about uh, about 14,000, uh, and uh, bedroom community, uh, we've got uh, CEOs that live in our community, and we got folks that are on Section 8 that live in our community. So it's just a great cross-section of society, and uh, it's an honor to be the chief here. Absolutely. And how large is, uh, is the police department there? Uh, we have 36 sworn, uh, and we have uh, 12 civilians that work here in the police department. Okay, okay. And how, lo- how long have you been there? 
I've been here in Hazelcrest uh, for six years uh, as their chief. Uh, this is my 30th year in law enforcement, and it's actually my 12th year actually as a police chief. Uh, the other two departments that I was police chief for were in the same south suburban area of Chicago, and which is where I grew up at also in the south suburbs of Chicago. And uh, my entire 30 years in law enforcement has been spent in this south suburban area of Chicago. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you, uh, you know, you grew up in Chicago then, huh? So you were a shy light. Absolutely. (laughs) I I grew up, I was born in Chicago and uh, moved to the South suburbs when I was about nine years old and uh, been here ever since and went to, went to college in Chicago. So I've, I've always been here in Chicago. So uh, I, wow. Yes. Okay. All right. So, so we couldn't get you out to to like New York or, or Boston or nothing like that, huh? Nah, I'm good. You know what? If, if I go anywhere, my wife has got me committed to moving somewhere warm. Uh, right. But even with that, I, I'm still not, you know, this is where everything is for me. So it's kind of difficult yeah. for me to move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to talk a little bit later about, the, you know, the Chicago, the Illinois weather. Um, we talked a little bit about about me off air that I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio. And, uh, you know, we got we got those winters, too, off of Lake yeah. Erie and all that. And then uh, and then I, I moved out here in the 80s. To California, and I, I never tried to go back. <laughs> never tried to go back to Columbus. Yeah. So yeah, I, I know a little bit about the snow, but you know, I'm, I'm good out here in Cali. So I can you, you can have the snow. I can imagine you January can, you can have that snow. when it when that wind chill in January hits 35, 40 below, it can be challenging. Man, man, I, I don't know how you do it. Much much props to all you officers <laughs> out there that that uh, handle police work out there in those those horrid conditions of, of the snow and extreme conditions. That's yeah, props props to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you know you grew up there in the Chicago area. Um, did had you always wanted to be in law enforcement? What's what was your journey like to to be in law enforcement? So law enforcement for me was absolutely not on my radar. Um, was never even a consideration for me. And, and you know, I, I say that uh, God brought me here uh, to into law enforcement. And, you know, I, I based that upon my path getting here and the exposure that I've had since then. Uh, as I mentioned before, I went to school here in Chicago. I went to Illinois Institute of Technology, which is one of the top engineering schools in the world. And uh, I, I was a computer programmer uh, as a student there. And I actually worked as a computer programmer for about eight years prior, into, prior to going into law enforcement. And uh, when I got into law enforcement, it was, once again, I believe it was all guy. Uh, I actually got fired from my job as a computer programmer. I was working for uh, uh, a sporting goods company, an internationally known sporting goods company that had been bought out. And this was back in the 80s. And uh, when they got bought out, just got married, uh, had just had a kid, just bought a house, and I needed income. And uh, went to DePaul University, had a, a, a minority job fair. And I went to DePaul University, and I'm just, you know, I just need to support my family. That's my mindset. Handing out resumes, and uh, I got called by a police department uh, called Park Force, which is, once again, a South Suburban Police Department. Um, there was three positions that they were hiring for uh, when they gave a test. Uh, it was probably about 500 people that took the initial test. And I was number two out of the three people that they hired uh, to take that initial position. And that was back in 1991. And 30 years later, here I am. So I believe yeah. it was all guy bringing me here. Indeed. Indeed. That was a police officer position that you, that you <clears throat> tested for? 
that, yes, it was a patrol position. Like I said, I I had never I had never had any aspirations of being the police, you know. But they were paying decent money. Uh, you right. know, it was an opportunity for me, and I just went with it. Yeah, yeah. I would have thought that maybe you would have tried to apply for you know an IT position or something like that. And then once you were working there, you said, "Hey, this this police job is pretty cool." But no, you went straight all the way, huh? You went for yes, it, yes, sir. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, and and I don't regret it. I don't regret it at all. Yeah. So how, how were those early days since you had never thought about it? You were in a total different situation, you know, as, as a computer programmer. And then you're thrust into this paramilitary like lifestyle that we're in in law enforcement. How was that transition for you? So it was interesting. So I was, I was uh, 20, 27, 28 years old uh, when, when this happened in my life. And um, for me, you know, having been a black man, I haven't being a black man and growing up in the Chicagoland area, uh, I had had encounters with law enforcement. Um, you know, the you know you hear driving while black. You know, I've had I had had those experiences on several occasions, and I didn't dislike the police, but you know, I just had never thought about being the police. So for me now, having that career change, uh, I wanted to be that officer that folks in black communities want their officers to be. Uh, that was kind of my my vision uh, when I came into law enforcement is I wanted to be that person. And uh, that's kind of what I strive to be. And uh, that uh, I, it came with some rude awakenings, uh, both from the police side and from the community reception side. Uh, but I still so I may have changed my, my ideology about it. I wasn't so naive about it, but wanting to be that officer that our communities want officers to be has never stopped being one of my goals. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that was kind of my, my route to getting into police and uh, police work as well. Uh, I started first thinking about it, like in the, in the early nineties when, you know, Rodney King happened out here in LA and uh, you know, I started thinking, Hey, you know, I want to be, one of those officers that black and brown and Asian and whoever communities don't have to worry about, you know, I want to be to that change that we all wanted to see. So that's when I first started thinking about it. But, uh, you know, I had to go to college route first before I went in law enforcement. That was my first, you know, inkling in my, in my, in my head that, you know, I wanted to get into law enforcement too. So yeah, sometimes it's those, those paths that, that something happens and, and you want to, you want, cause I wasn't thinking about, I was thinking about journalism as at the time, I, I don't know, maybe this podcast will kind of give you that idea. I was thinking about journalism at the time, but yeah. And then, and then that happened. And, you know, like you say, God, God puts, puts it in front of you. Absolutely. And I, and you know, and I, I that, that ideology of being that officer now, I've been blessed right now to be in a position where I actually and can be implemented of change. I'm at that yep. level right now where, you know, the, the, the positions and the titles outside of just being police chief here, the, the organizations and the, the leadership positions that I hold within the profession now actually literally put me on the front line of making change. And so, you know, that's what I'm most uh, excited about that has been truly a blessing that, you know, from, from the very beginning, having had that mindset to be, that's why I said, I know it's nothing but God that has placed me here for such a time as this. So, mm -hmm. yeah, for real, for real. And then, uh, so you were talking about first, you were a computer programmer. I mean, that's, that's yeah. some pretty good smarts right there, obviously. Um, did you ever get a chance in your career to kind of use that uh, degree for anything? 
So it actually it worked out because, you know, once again, back in the early 90s, you know, computers were still developing. They were nowhere yeah. near, you know, you know, where desktops are, you know, software and things like that. There's nowhere near what it is. Coming from a technical background, I actually was able to uh, be, be forward thinking and push some things within our department to, to move towards automating things that we were just historically used to doing uh, manually. So, yeah, I was actually able to do those things. And, and then when they were implementing uh, computer related things back then, once again, a lot of folks didn't have a lot of experience. Every, today, everybody, you know, you got your phones, you got your laptops. So it's not foreign for almost everybody to work with computers. But back then, it was it was it was that wasn't that way. And, uh, you know, some people just shied away from it. And so I was able to help bring folks along. And I've always done that throughout my career. Uh, automation and technology has always been at the forefront. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my experience with, you know, being a police officer and being around other police officers is that we're not we're not one for change, right. especially Absolutely. in the technology realm. And so sometimes getting the old timers to to want to go from, you know, handwriting a report to even just, you know, yeah. doing it on the computer. And then, you know, uh, at my department a while back, we used to we used to have something called an iPad was was back then it was kind of like an iPad. And we had to log every stop on that, you know. Uh, you know, everybody was pushing back on that. And then now yeah. to today, we, you know, we got the uh, body cams and all that, just, just technology moving all that forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and it's good to be able to see that evolution. Yeah. <laughs> tell me about it. Yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. I, I think I was around before, uh, not before, but after, you know, handwriting reports, but in the academy, they make you handwrite reports, and then when you get out and you, you're doing it on the computer, why are they making me handwrite these reports? Well, so <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, I take that back because I was just telling the trainee just the other day I was writing a, a citation out for it, not a traffic citation, but I was citing out a, a juvenile. I'm, I'm an SRO right now, okay. and uh, yeah, so we caught him with some stuff. So I had to, you know, just cite him out to his to his parents. And uh, and I messed up a court date, and you you just can't scratch out the court date right. on a, on a citation. You gotta you gotta redo it because they'll kick back the citation. So I was telling them, okay, so now when you go to the academy, this is why they're harping on making sure your your memos everything is straight Absolutely. because you know you just can't yeah you just can't scratch it out. You got to do it perfect. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's a pain document. in the butt, but you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a legal document for real. <laughs> for real, it is. So, all right. So, uh, tell me a little bit about your career when you started out. You said you were a patrol at your first department. Uh, what was your your career, your career pro, uh, progression? Excuse me, there at that department, and then moving on to another department. So I started out, you know, as as as, as everybody else, you start. We started off in patrol, and uh, it, it actually was kind of interesting. Um, you know, once I got into uh, law enforcement, and once again, I'm in a suburban police department. Um, I loved where I was at. It was a very high functioning police department. Uh, had a lot of amenities and, and just a great department to work for. But a couple years in, and it, ju it just happens this way with folks, especially when you're around a, a large municipality, quite often you'll get, you know, visions of grandeur saying, you know what, I'm going to go work for the big police department. And uh, yep. a few years in. To, Grass ain't uh, always greener, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, a couple years in, I, I, I tested for Chicago Police Department. And uh, the leadership in the department that I was working for, I guess they thought I was doing a good job. So they gave me an incentive to stay. They put me in the detective division. 
and uh, I spent uh, the next seven years uh, in the detective division. You know, I did. You know, the, the good thing the good thing about working for a smaller department is the diversity in what you're being exposed to. So, yes, if yes. I worked for Chicago and I was a detective, I'd be a burglary detective or a homicide detective, whatever. It would be you would have to do one thing. Well, in my department, I do everything. You know, so I yep. did financial crimes, uh, I did burglaries, I did homicides, I did drugs. Uh, so, I, you know, it was great to be able to have that diverse exposure. I was a juvenile officer, uh, uh, didn't have SROs, but what we have in a lot of schools in the area is called uh, policemen officers, which is they're officers in the school, but it's not through the police department. Uh, it's, it's basically a side job and you work for the, for the school district while you're working there. And you, you know, you still work your job on the streets normally. But uh, okay. I've done, I did that for 27 years uh, throughout my career. And, you know, being in investigations, I, you know, I had a level of success there. I was a dare officer. I taught gang classes and, and just got exposed to a lot of great things. And um, uh, people that, you know, had they had been asking me, hey, you need to take the promotion exam. Well, our the, the protocol in that department and a lot of departments is that when you get a promotion, you got to start all over again. First of all, you mm -hmm. got to go back into patrol and you got to go back into patrol and you got to start at the bottom rung. And so because I loved being in detectives, I wouldn't take the promotion exam for several rotations. I wouldn't take it. And finally, they came to me and they're like, look, you need to take the promotion exam. And so uh, <clears throat> about nine years into my career, I took the promotional exam and I actually scored high enough where uh, I got promoted. Uh, and uh, during that ninth year, I got promoted uh, to the equivalent to or in most departments to a sergeant's level. And uh, I was there up for a couple months and I got a phone call from a friend who I went to high school with. As I told you, I grew up in the South Suburban area. My friend got elected mayor in one of the towns that went that fed into our high school adjacent to where I grew up at. And the, the department, you know, just quite honestly, the department was corrupt. The department was corrupt and they want they needed to clean house. And he asked me, he says, I need somebody that I can trust to be my police chief. And mind you, I just told you I'd only been a supervisor for a couple months. Uh, but I'm a glass half full guy. And I knew the bad shape that that department was in and I knew the community. And I, fi I figured that I couldn't do any worse than the people who were doing wrong by those folks that lived in that community were doing. So um, I prayed on it talked to folks that I knew every aspect of law enforcement, judges, I knew public defenders, uh, uh, state's attorneys, other officers, and people People told me to go for it. And my chief at the time at the department that I was working at, he said, hey, I got your back. I know what you're going to go through when you get over there. And if you choose to go through with it, I'm behind you for you uh, to help you with the process. So 10 years in, I uh, took my first chief's job. It's, we were able to do some great, great things in that community and under certain my, and my once again my mindset is that the most challenged and impoverished communities deserve the same police services as the most affluent communities and the department yes. that i came from as i mentioned was a great foundation for me and showed me how things were supposed to be done so i took those resources and that mindset to this impoverished department and we were able to make changes man we did some great things there and uh, you know, I end up losing my job there because, you know, as a police chief, every four years when a new mayor comes in, you stand it, you know, yep. it doesn't mean you did something wrong. It's just they might want to bring will. their own person is. And yep. 
that happened with me. And uh, I ended up being a police chief for, I, I worked as a school liaison officer for several years, kind of got, I took some lumps in that first chief's job and I didn't know that I wanted to be a chief again. So I worked as a school liaison officer for several years. And then I got a call about eight years ago. Um, uh, there was a department in our area that made international news, another impoverished department that had just been just did some things they should not have done and it got them into international news and they asked me to come in and and straighten out the department and uh, brought in a guy with me and we came in and we, we, we got rid of the folks that needed to be to leave we brought in folks that were, uh, were with our program and we were able to turn that department around and I stayed there for a couple years and when I left uh, he became the chief so that that continuum was still there with what we were working on and, and that's how I landed here in Hazelcrest and uh, been here now for six years and you know it's been a blessing being here and you know here here now i'm uh, uh i'm the president of the illinois association of chiefs of police uh, i'm the first black president in the 80-year history of the organization uh it's, a, it's an honor uh, but i don't take it lightly uh, the governor here in illinois has appointed me to be the chair of the illinois law enforcement training and standards board which is our post here in, in chicago in, in illinois uh, i'm the chairman of mm -hmm. that uh, I'm on the board of directors for the International Association of Chiefs of Police. I'm on the board of National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. So I wear a lot of hats right now. And, and you know, the, the experiences that I've had, I believe, once again, is God preparing me for where I'm at right now because uh, the things that have happened when, when yeah. George Floyd was murdered, that was not new to me. I had I had developed classes where I've been traveling the country teaching about bias and change in the culture of law enforcement that I, as a black man, thought needed to happen. So when George Floyd was murdered, yep. they kind of thrust me into the spotlight because so many people knew I was already fighting that fight. So uh, and then the, with the legislation, the historic legislation that was just passed here in Illinois with criminal justice reform, you know, talking about our profession pushing back. You know, it was a lot of pushback. But the, mm -hmm. the, the, a lot yep. of the change, all the changes are perfect, but reform needed to happen and it needs to happen. And not everybody feels that way. Right. Right. You know, going back to talking about, you know, your first chief's job and then your second chief's job, uh, those were troubled departments. It's interesting that you mentioned that uh, another chief that I've had on the show a couple of times. Uh, I'm sure you heard of Chief uh, Jason Armstrong. He was at uh, Ferguson, Missouri PD, yes. and I think he's 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 moved on to another. I think Apex or something like that PD now. Anyway, he he mentioned that once too that uh, us as black men in leadership positions, we don't get those first jobs at primo departments. They're always, uh, you know, departments that are troubled for for whatever reason. What, what's your thoughts on that? Is that I mean that's kind of been your experience. So yeah. So what happened? Well. So I'm in agreement with that, but let me put it in a in a in a in a another context. I, so I'm absolutely in agreement with that because those who don't look like us, they'll take those jobs, but they'll take them for other reasons. So what, yeah. you know, like the the, the department that you know the first chief job that I had, it was there were white guys that was running that department, but they were they were still. I mean, they, it was they're they're just using it as their toy. You know, and that's how the department mm -hmm. got in there. They're hiring people who got no business being hired. Uh, and, and, and the community doesn't know. You know, they just they just know that they aren't getting the services, but they don't know all the things that are being that are going on by, behind those doors. So they'll take those jobs if they're of that mindset. Yep. 
and, and they'll abuse the department and you know and, and nobody you know nobody worst thing i'll just quit i'll just move on somewhere and, and that those things happen they just take take advantage of those departments, those departments but when you're talking about coming in trying to do things right most chiefs that are trying to come in and do things right quite honestly and it is just is what it is you know those departments don't pay much money you know you, you i made when i took that first chief job i made less money taking a chief job than i did as a detective where i was working at but for me wow. it was about the opportunity it was about the opportunity how many times in my life am i going to get an opportunity to become a police chief and have an effect on a community near where i grew up that i know needs that help and i see what's happening so it was that a leap it was literally a leap of faith for me and uh, you know, quite and once again, it is what it is. Uh, a lot of chiefs that don't look like us aren't willing to do that for our communities, and yes. that, you know that's what I see the reality to be. And 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 we do that because we're doing it because we we want to make these communities right, and you know we get blessed as a result because we go into difficult situations as professionals who want to do the right thing, and people are like, "Wow, when you walked in, it was like this, but when you left, it was like this." So. It yes. gives us a, a bit of credibility from everybody to say that we had the, you know, we had the nerve and the courage to go into these departments and to, to go in and be productive in spite of how it may have been historically. Facts, facts. Appreciate that. Appreciate that answer. So, uh, you know, you mentioned that uh, you, you got some sort of pushback from being a police officer when you first started out. Was that Kind of like from you, the people you came up with, from the family. What what was that journey like for you when you first got into law enforcement, all the way up to now? Well, no, you know what, my family's always been uh, behind me. Uh, like I said, I didn't grow up in a you know we hated the police type family or anything like that. Uh, you know, but we did that transition. Moved there when I first moved there. It was we were one of the first black families in our neighborhood. And now that community is one of the highest crime communities in the state of Illinois. And, you know, a lot of there's a lot of reasons why that evolution took place. Uh, but with that comes a changing encounter with law enforcement, because, first of all, you have a certain encounter being the only black family in the neighborhood. You have a certain kind of encounter. And then as the yeah. as the department changes or as the, the, the town changes, then you have a different type of encounter with them. So I didn't get pushback from my family, uh, primarily I, I just in the community, you know, just I'm I was up, I was just naive. I'm, you know, I'm just thinking that if I if I'm, I'm, I'm a black guy, I'm coming in here, I want to do the right thing. I'm treating you right. I'm being respectful to you. And everybody just don't like the police. <laughs> and so. Uh, right. That was just a wake up call. And, uh, you know, and I, I haven't changed the fact of, of what I'm what I'm doing, but I'm tempered in how I do it. And I know, you know, I, I'm not I used to get heartbroken a lot, I guess is the best way to put it, because my mm. intentions were to do the right thing. And when people didn't receive me trying to do the right thing, uh, you know, it, it just it would break my heart. You know, and where is yeah. this coming from? I'm trying to be the guy that you want. And so moving forward is interesting because, uh, as I mentioned, uh, this past year, uh, the Illinois Black Caucus presented a bill called this and it's called it's now law it's called the Safety Act. And it's sweeping reforms in law enforcement. And uh, during that process, I got a phone call asking me, hey, we need you to be involved in this process. I was not the president of the Illinois Chiefs Association at the time. I was the vice president, but they know me personally. So they asked me to be a part of the process. And with my 
being the chairman of the Training and Standards Board, I needed to represent them as well. So uh, I was kind of in, interjecting into that process on a couple ways. Well, there was a coalition of folks, and there still is, a coalition of folks that represent law enforcement in this whole legislative process. That coalition consists of the Illinois Chiefs Associations, three different factions of the FOP, and the Sheriff's Association. And I guess like the, the best way to say it is that the Illinois Chiefs weren't always on the same page as the FOP and the Sheriff's Association and our, and our beliefs. Okay. And uh, quite honestly, some folks in the room made it quite clear up front. We want nothing to do with any type of police reforms. Uh, mm. And my, uh, what I would always say is that, look, reforms are going to happen. The legislators are going to do what their constituents want them to do. We can either be victim of change or we can be partners in change. Are we going to get everything we want? Absolutely not. But to try to draw that line in the sand is not going to do us any good as a profession. But uh, I've, I've learned that some people will do things against their own best interest mm -hmm. uh, just for the sake of maintaining the status quo. And, uh, you know, I talk about culture when I when I do my training culture and that culture that is, you know, uh, a result the the slave catchers, the enforcing Jim Crow laws, the, the war on drugs and all, all those mm -hmm. things that were forced upon law enforcement to, to, to put upon mostly communities of color. That that's why black folks feel the way they feel. And so. Right. I just honestly believe that sharing our experiences as black police officers with our colleagues, that those colleagues who get it because of the relationships that we have with them, they'll receive it properly. But that pushback that I was talking about and that you just asked me about again, I found through this whole legislative process comes from two different extremes. They come from folks in our profession as law enforcement professionals that, like the guy said, we want nothing to do with reforms. Things are okay mm -hmm. they, the way they are now but i also found out especially most recently i also found out that there's some folks that are some black folks who i was sitting on a panel with and there was a young lady who was uh moderating the panel and uh we we i was the only law enforcement type person on the panel the others were attorneys and things to that effect and my conversation is not what most people expect from a law enforcement person i'm speaking <laughs> for the community and yeah. for law enforcement and for black folks on both sides and equity and everything that had. So my conversation is a little different. Uh, I was sharing some. Some of the other people on the panel were like, wow, I've never heard, you know, it's, it's, it's just refreshing to hear enforcement who have these views. And, uh, uh, this moderator basically said that, you know what, the stuff you said was cool, chief, but I ain't trying to work with the police in any under any circumstances. Regardless. So yeah. when you have people at the, both ends of those spectrum that, you know, if you're trying to move to move forward and folks are just stuck where they are, you got to leave them where they are and work with who you can. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's tough when, you know. Just like you said, that that person said, yeah, I understand what you're talking about. I got those same feelings, but because you're wearing that uniform and that badge, I don't want to work with you. I mean, what, what can you do? I mean, yeah, <laughs> what can you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that's when losses. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And, and like you said, you can only work with who you can. And hopefully there's more of those people that you can work with 
that you can get through, you know, through the mud and all that. How's, how's defo- uh, not deforming, but uh, defunding the police, how's that sort of affected your community over there? Has it, has it kind of reached you in any capacity? You know what? It has not. Um, it has not. And so for me, it's kind of been, uh, you know, once again, because of the, the, the positions that I hold and being out in the media and out in the public so much, I, I try to use and uh, I share whenever I talk about defunding the police, I always start out uh, with my definition and my perception of it. And for me, for folks that say defunding the police, I look at it as re- reallocation of resources not getting rid of the police right. so much. There are those there are those who want the police to be gone. And with those folks, I, I say, okay, give me an alternative. If you don't, you know, it'd be great yeah. if you didn't need our services, but you do. So uh, with, with defunding, I give it a, re, I talk about reallocation. And then I follow it up by saying, at least here in the state of Illinois, defunding happened a long time ago, but it wasn't defunding of the police. It was defunding of social services. Uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, mental health, uh, uh, homelessness services, uh, substance abuse service, all those social service resources, they were defunded. And what happens in society when things get defunded, stuff gets thrown on the police. You know, now we got CIT training, which is true. I'm not saying we should have uh, training to deal with folks who are in episode. We should have those trainings, but there there are other folks out there who are better equipped to deal with these things than we are, and they get thrown on us, and they they defunded those services. But when they when they put those responsibilities on law enforcement, they didn't give us the money they were saving by defunding them. We had to operate mm-hmm. within the means that already existed with law enforcement. So now that the tide has changed and now people are saying, well, you all shouldn't be dealing with those things. Well, we said that up front, but we do what we do because that's the professionals that we are. Right. Now they're talking about taking those things off our plate, but now they want to take money away from us. Well, you all never gave us money to deal with these <laughs> yep. things. Hazelcrest, you know, I got, I got two, three squad cars out there. My older squad cars, I got two or three of them. that has got almost 200,000 miles on them. Mm. Community. But we're not a community that can just go out and that we want. So taking money away from us would absolutely have an effect just on the day-to-day operations on us, on us being able to serve the people that live in our community. So uh, it has not affected us. We have a tremendous administration here that does a great job. Once again, rich community has got all new, you know, every year we're getting new squad cars, but we got great officers here and a great administration that make sure that we have the things that we need to be able to serve our community. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to when you were talking about all these services that were thrust upon the police because they were defunded. I was just talking to my son about that the other day. We we're talking about uh, uh, back in the day, we used to have after school programs. Um, and, and when those went by the wayside, you know, all those kids, what happened to them? You know, now they out running the streets because you know their, their parents are out working and Absolutely. they didn't have an outlet. Yep. So what are they doing? They out there causing havoc. The greatest, the, the, the largest mental services institutions are the jails. Right. We have, there's buildings all around the state of Illinois that are sitting vacant. They used to have hundreds and hundreds of people where they offer resources to them. They're just sitting there vacant. And now the, the, most of those folks are getting service when they get locked up. And most of the things they get locked up for as, are as a result of mental illness issues. And we yes. end up having to deal with them. And 
they get locked up and they get put right back out on the street and with the, you know it's that revolving door so you know until we, we we take a you can talk about the police all you want and absolutely there's things that we need to change i'm one of the I'm one of the greatest cheerleaders of that change in that culture to be equitable for everybody. But until we address these societal issues such as mental illness, homelessness, uh, substance abuse, we've got to hit those things head on. And that will take so much off our plate and, and, and it'll, it'll help society as a whole. You know, there's a saying that I heard somebody say, saying that when things are better for everybody, things are better for everybody. And when we start operating that way, that's when we're going to start moving forward. Uh, great strides. I agree. Facts right there. Facts right there. And then another thing that's been a result of all this is officers leaving departments, you know, through, through attrition and, and other reasons, but we're not able to backfill those positions because of funding or just nowadays, a lot of people don't even want to be police officers. Are, are you seeing a lot of that in, in your communities out there that uh, in, in the Chicago area that people don't want to be police officers like they did back in the 90s and early 2000s? Absolutely. So uh, I sat on a panel uh, about a week ago. I sat on a panel and, uh, of course, uh, elected officials in the state of Illinois, and they were talking to folks. Are, so the, the legislators, once again, we just had this sweeping criminal justice reform bill, and there were people that were attacking the legislators, saying, that, you know, because of this bill, nobody wants to be the police again. We can't get people to apply to be law enforcement officers, and they, they really went in on them. Well, uh, you know, when I spoke, I kind of shared with them that we were having issues getting people being the police before this year. It didn't just start this year. We've been having that issue for, for some years now. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, they talk about, you know, well, all the good officers are retiring because of this criminal justice reform bill. And I share with them that, you know what, there's a couple of different types of officers that are retiring as to criminal justice reform. There's officers who never shouldn't have been the police in the first place who are doing things they got no business doing. And then there are those who might not be bad officers. They just don't want to change. And they've got enough time where they say, you know what, rather than me going through this, these changes, I'm just going to go on about my business. And God bless them. You know, we appreciate their time and their service in the community. But there are some folks who are leaving because they can't do the things that they're used to doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and those folks, some of those folks, they needed to go. So, uh, yes, absolutely, we are having challenges finding people to apply. But for me, uh, I talk about this as well. This is a it's a time of challenge, but I but we need to or I am going to look at it as a time of opportunity as well with that paradigm shift that has to take place. If we're talking about making reforms, let's make reforms on how we recruit. Uh, you know, let's let's actively recruit. And instead of looking for the person, you know, they're asking you, have you ever been in a fight before? You know, you know, uh, are, you know, are you tough enough to be a police officer? I don't need somebody to be tough. I need somebody, first and foremost, that can empathize with those that they serve so that they can. So no matter who you're dealing with, you might not agree with what they're doing. If you learn about their circumstances, you'll deal with them differently. I need somebody who can communicate and I need somebody who can problem solve. If you're able to do those things, I can teach you how to defend yourself. I can teach you how to shoot. I can teach you how to protect others. But if you can't, you don't have those character ish, those characteristics, those fundamental character traits that, that, that are needed to interact with somebody on a positive basis. Those are the things that we have to start looking for when it comes to individuals. No doubt. No doubt. But on the flip side of that, we also talk about when you go through, you know, background processes and all those sorts of things, when they talk about, say like growing up on the south side of Chicago or what have you, have you ever been in a fight? 
do you know anybody who's been in the gang? You know, and some of us applicants, yeah, you know, half the people I, I ran with in school yeah. <laughs> were in Absolutely. gangs. That doesn't mean I did it, you know, but some of those things are disqualifying. And we, we need to sort of think Absolutely. about those things as well that, you know, the, the environment. That's that paradigm shift. Yes, Absolutely. that this applicant that's, that's was a, in. So that's, yeah. cultural, that's cultural differences. Cultural, yeah. And that's why it's important that, you know, leaders such as yourself, that's why it's important that your voice be heard. And, you know, when I gave my, 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 my speech at the uh, inaugural dinner about a month ago for being uh, the first black president for the Illinois Chiefs Association, I talked about the importance of, of being the first black chief. I, and I share with him, I say, because whenever I talk about it, I say, I always say I'm the first black chief. Uh, that's the president. I'm the first black president. And, and I, I know that there are folks out there, why does he always say that? What's the big deal? What's the big deal about being the first black president? And that's what my speech was revolved around. And it's exactly what you just talked about. Uh, our, our, we bring a different viewpoint. It's not a wrong viewpoint. It's just different. But it's important that our viewpoint is heard because it needs to be taken into consideration. Because if you're looking through one lens to service the people that are looking through a whole nother lens, that's where conflict is. And that's how things have historically been in our profession. You know, we the law enforcement has historically determined how it's going to police our communities, but they're not of our the people making those decisions weren't of our communities. And so we have to have input, especially those of us who are in law enforcement that are black, because we see it on both sides. You know, I share with with folks that uh, my worst two experiences, you know, if you're a black man in the United States, you got your experiences with the police. My worst two experiences with the police were both when I was the police. And in both instances, they knew I was the police. And in one of the two instances, I was a chief. And the guy knew I was a chief. And in both instances, they did what they did. And they told me they didn't care who I was. And it didn't matter to them. Wow. So those people exist yeah. in our profession. They do. And when you go to, to a police department, I know it doesn't happen in California, but in Illinois, you go to police <laughs> departments here. There are people that can tell you, oh, oh yeah, that's, that's just so-and-so. We know about him. But so-and-so mm. is allowed to exist within your police department. The right. guy who knew I was a chief, uh, when we had our encounter, that guy ended up going to federal prison. Not mm. for what he did to me, but because that's how he did. He treated everybody like that of color. And so if yeah. he's treating me like that and he knows I'm a police chief, imagine the things he's doing to the everyday citizen. And it ended up landing him in prison. And, and at the time when that happened to me, I knew that I was a police chief and I knew the chief. And when I went to him about what happened, he didn't do anything about it. Once again, these folks have been allowed to exist within our profession. So that's why it's, and I applaud the work that you do, to, you know, and the voice that you have to, to do the things that you're doing to make sure that we are holding ourselves accountable. And it's not just black officers. There's a lot, a lot of great white officers out there who, yes. for whatever reasons, you know, they, they are used to the, the they're used to the culture that exists but when we share with them our experiences and we start doing and saying the things that we do oftentimes they feel empowered they feel empowered to join in and fight with us because they've never had anybody leading the charge like that so the things that you're doing man are just so important and i'm so happy that you're doing what you're doing i appreciate that you know and going back to what i was talking about my motivation for getting into a department was you know i didn't want things to happen at least on my watch that you would see on, on TV or hear about. And, you know, I don't see these sorts of things in my particular department, 
but I'm not naive to think that they don't happen. They just haven't happened in front of me. So maybe that's what I'm sort of thinking that because they know, hey, Peters don't play that. Let's not do that in front of him. Uh, But these things may still be happening. That's a great great way to start, though. Right. That's a great way to start, yeah. The fact if you don't have that as a fundamental thing within your department, people know that there's certain things that take they can't do in front of you. That means you're doing the right thing because right. we all know that, that there are folks who look like us that people are feel feel comfortable doing stuff in front of. And something and, and let me get this straight: it ain't just white officers that's, that abuse authority. It's yeah, black officers that, that do part, it as well. That part. So yeah. uh, you know. So but but even then, no matter what color you are the abuse of authority, it's not okay to do it in front of Dale. It's not. Yep. That, the fact that you have that reputation means that, that you are doing the right thing, and that speaks volumes. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah, because, you know, we, we get our people from the community, so we're just a microcosm of the community. So, you know, just like every other profession, we get – I hate to say that term because people, people overuse it, bad apples – but, you know, there's bad apples, yeah. there's bad teachers and bad store clerks and lawyers and doctors and everything. So, you know, just to think that we would be above all that and, and we should be held to a different standard. And but the thing is, a lot of people say is that, yeah, we are a, a microcosm of, commu- of the community. But when we get caught doing these things, the punishment isn't the same. Well, what do you think about that? Yeah. Well, you know what, the thing that and you just mentioned it, that uh, us being held to a higher standard, uh, you know, with to whom much is given, much is required. You know, yep. that that is, you know, the Bible says that. And uh, what happens is our, our authority, we literally the power of life and death. In our hands. And yes, you know, there there's good, bad and everything. But when we do wrong things, it can cost somebody their freedom or it can cost them their life. Mm-hmm. So because of that, we absolutely need to be held to a higher standard because there are those that abuse it. And so those who abuse it, you expect that from them. It's not acceptable, but they are who they are. You expect that. What happens so often is just the um, the misuse by folks from a competency standpoint. And, and, and you know, when I once again, when I teach my classes, I talk about a couple different types types of bad officers. We have those bad officers that are intentionally doing things wrong. Once again, they are who we are, who they are, and we expect that from them because that's who they are. But there's a lot of things that happen because of competency or lack thereof of competency. And uh, once again, and the people who are incompetent are able to hang around even longer because they're not out there deliberately doing things wrong. They're not getting in trouble. They're not breaking the rules, but they're not competent. And their co their coworkers can tell you who they are. Yeah. But because they're not doing stuff to get written up, they're not doing stuff to get fired. That when they get into that life or death situation, their lack of competency causes them to overreact with catastrophic consequences. Yeah. Uh, you know, a prime example, and uh, uh, folks, you know, talk about they don't want the Monday morning quarterback, but we have to use situations to get better. Uh, if you look at, uh, I believe it was Tamir Rice. That's the young man. Matter of fact, Columbus wasn't. That's where he was at, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. The young man that had the the, the fake gun in the park. Well, uh, the, the call came in that hey, there's a guy with a gun in the park. Uh, looks like he's a, he's a young kid or something. Uh, I think it's a, a I think it's a, a not a real gun. And, and I understand I'm not justifying this based on that because we 
we don't wait to find out of something as best you can. But you know, you don't just can't go by face value. But bad tactics can lead to a justified shoot. Well, if you look at that video, you've got officers that pull in front of somebody that's got a gun. They don't know if it's real or not. They pull the light car right in front of them. And they're forced because of their proximity to this person with a gun to get out and shoot them. That's why they didn't get charged. But I can guarantee, I've never been to the police academy in Ohio, but I can guarantee you that nowhere in the police academy do they ever teach you to pull up in front of somebody in a squad car that has a gun. And so they placed themselves in a situation that legally, legally they were justified in acting. They should have been held responsible for placing themselves negative placing situation so competency is that's kind of an example of that yeah yep i hear you we had a little bit of connection problem there for a little bit but we got the gist of all that and i appreciate that uh that feedback on that because that, that's real i mean competency and, and we see it on you know across the country from from la to, to new york uh if an officer is not competent and and they use bad tactics and you know, I've spoken a lot about um, officers not knowing how we as black in the black community, how we interact with each other, how we talk to each other. A lot of times, you know, if we're loud, boisterous and and, you know, hand gestures and all that, it's not necessarily threatening. So some some officers need to realize that and don't overreact in those situations as well. So, you know, just proximity to some of these situations, you know, I, I talk about uh, with, with other officers, non-black officers, um, do you, do you interact with, with the black community, with, with people that aren't the same as you? You know, I, I don't, I don't have uh, a lot of cop friends that I hang out with just so I can get different perspectives. Do you have that? Do you just hang around other officers 24 seven? And, and that's all, all, you know, all you see all the time. So it, it's good to get different perspectives so that when you're out there, you can, you can uh, interact with people appropriately. All right, so we, we got the Chief Davis back. We had a little technical glitch there, but hey, this is technology. This is what this is what happens when we're all using that bandwidth. So I appreciate Hazel you. Crest Internet. Yes, I appreciate you coming back here, Chief. Good stuff, good stuff. So, um, hey, what, what's your family life like? Uh, you married? You got uh, kids? What's uh, what's your situation? I am uh, I am married. Uh, I have four. Four adult children and four grandchildren. They, uh, all of them, are my pride and joys. Uh, we are empty nesters, and uh, our my oldest, my granddaughter, actually is a senior in high school. She's down in Florida. She actually three out of my four grandkids. Our oldest daughter are down in Florida. Florida's grandchild is uh, will be four this year. So I've got the whole range of them, and they, you know, they, I love my kids. Uh, my my off time, I'm a I'm a fanatical boater. Um, bowling, huh? I've been in the boating now. We, oh, boating, boating, boating. Oh, nice boating. Be, yeah, nice. Yes, I'm a fanatical boater. Yeah, so we uh, been into boating about nine years now. And I guess we're empty nesters. Uh, you know, we parents that uh, played sports, and uh, we actually two of our sons were playing college football at the same time, and. So, you know, during those few years, every weekend we were on the road traveling somewhere to see them play. So we we paid our dues and it's now time for us to sit back and and enjoy our lives together. So yeah. uh, it's, it's been a blessing. So you know, I, it's been a blessing. 
any of them thinking about following in dad's footsteps in law enforcement? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, No, nobody's uh, no, not, not any grandkids. I guess that could happen at some, as far as my kids, absolutely not. Yeah. 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 They they are, they're on their own paths at this point in time. That's good. I mean, that's, that's what we raise them to take their own paths and, and, and they don't have to follow in our footsteps for so long as they, they do what they want to do and they do it well. So same thing in my household. So I got a son and a daughter. Yeah. My son wants to go into medicine and, my daughter, she's still a senior in high school, so okay. uh, she'll be applying for colleges. She, she's hoping to get into Howard, so I hope she gets into Howard. That's, that's going to be a great experience okay. for her. Yeah, great experience for her. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Chief, I appreciate everything. Um, you coming on and all that. It, we have to talk about boating. What, what, what is boating real quick? So you guys racing boats? What, what are you doing? <clears throat> no, no. So our boat, um, so we have two boats and two jet skis and, and we're on Lake Michigan, uh, you know, on Lake Michigan. Yeah. And, uh, our larger boat, uh, is almost, it's like an apartment basically on the water. You know, we have two bedrooms, two bathrooms, what? kitchen, direct TV. Nice. So, uh, when, when we leave the office on Friday, we headed straight to the Marina. Uh, we are there for most of the weekend. And in most cases, you know, I'll either come straight to work on Monday morning uh, or I'll, you know, if I got some stuff, cut the grass and stuff early on Sunday and do those things. But uh, the only challenge is being in Chicago, you only have so many months <laughs> out of the year in the season. So the season yeah. is about to come to an end yeah. uh, in a few weeks. But uh, we, we love it. That's that's my, my peaceful place. Uh, a lot of people, you know, because of all the hats that I wear, people are like, how the heck do you keep your sanity? Well, that's that's it. You got to make how. time for yourself. Uh you know, and and I and I want to mention well. Uh, sadly, we, a young trooper, uh, black trooper, that took his life on Friday. Yes. Um, on the, he was at work, and uh, took his own life. We don't, don't know why. It, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on for somebody to, to be at a point in their own life. You know, just for his soul and for his family, and uh, you know, just let folks know uh, that are out there in the profession that. There's always somebody to talk to. There's always somebody to talk to. And please don't ever think that there's no way out other than taking your life. And that there's so many people that do it in our profession every year. And we've just got to be look for one another. Agreed. Agreed. Can't agree enough on that. All right, Chief. So before I let you go, I got a little, little uh, question and answer. Quick round session. I like to play with my guests here. So uh, let me get that for you. This is called. Uh, Last night I saw a superhero. He was black. He said, this is for the street. Black Lightning's back. All right. So this is called Black Lightning. I'm just going to throw some quick questions at you. You throw some quick answers okay. back at me and we'll we'll wrap this up here. So real quick. Uh, what was your favorite assignment? All right. Your favorite assignment during your career? Uh, I think I'm doing underdrug buys. Okay. All right. You like narcs? Yeah, that, I was a narc for a while. That, yeah. that, that was a fun, really demanding, time demanding. But yeah, that was, that was really fun. Yeah. yeah. Celebrity Absolutely. you'd want to play, a celebrity you'd want to play in a movie of your life. Ooh, celebrity play a movie of my life. Who's going to play um, Chief Mitchell? How about Mitchell Wesley? Who's that, Wesley? Wesley Snipes. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. So, so you, you you do all the backflips and stuff that he does too? 
absolutely not. <laughs> but uh, no, <laughs> not at all. The martial arts, yeah. He he got a new one coming out with uh, Kevin Hart that looks pretty good. I want to check that out. I've been seeing on social media they've been posting, so that looks good. I'm I'm I'm, I'm happy yeah. for him because he he did his thing in uh, in coming to America too. Did you see that? I did. Yeah. I did see it. Yes, yeah. he did. Yeah, he did. His, he did his thing. I'm glad that. to see he's back on his feet. Yes, indeed, indeed. So, are you a nine millimeter guy or a forty cal guy? Forty cal. Forty cal. Yep. I know a lot of people are switching back to nine mils, but I'm still forty cal myself. You in the uh, Chicago area? So, uh, bulls or bears? Bears. Bears. That's not much of a choice at this point, but Bears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Justin Fields. Justin Fields, Ohio State. So he did his thing yesterday. Yeah. 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 Um, if you could go back in a time and meet somebody who is no longer living, who would it be? I say, uh, I'd have to say uh Martin Luther King would be that person. There you go. Great choice, Martin Luther King. I'm okay. Um, two uh, Chicago area musical acts: um, the Shy Lights or Earth, Wind, and Fire. Which ones? Which one is you? I love the Shy Lights, but EWF. Yep. Can't go. Can't, can't beat them. Yeah, that was probably an unfair matchup there, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you could be chief of police anywhere outside of the United States, where would it be? Outside of the United States. Yeah, outside. Hmm. Um, outside of the, I'd say, I'd say my friends in the Bahamas. There you go. Yes, indeed. Um, what's the coldest outside temperature you've been in? For me out here in, in, in SoCal. Coldest outside. Uh, temperature I've been in is about about 50 below oh no 50 below five zero yeah when oh, five zero no. wind chill with the no. wind chill no yeah. no y'all can keep that y'all can keep that i'll be out here when it's uh <laughs> 50 degrees out here we like oh man where my where my coat where my winter coat at <laughs> uh do you use emojis now, you all have winter coats out there yeah that's my that's my winter coat it's called a jacket for you but <laughs> uh, okay <laughs> uh do you use emojis when you text uh you know what the only thing i use i, I use a couple of them uh i use my fraternity sign, uh and i use a couple of just the fundamental ones uh right. you know and uh thumbs up and stuff like that all right cool cool couple more uh, when's the last time you used your handcuffs wow in a professional capacity handcuffs <laughs> i don't even carry handcuffs I, I, actually it's funny that you asked that i don't even carry handcuffs but well, you shouldn't but friday yeah. i was leaving work on friday i was leaving friday and i'm i'm leaving town and an incident broke out right in front of me and one of my officers was there and we had a guy taking this guy into custody and I had to rely on his handcuffs. So you called me up now and I should be carrying handcuffs. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, that, that's why you get paid the big bucks to direct, but you never know. You know, things happen, but hey, you're an admin. You don't need that anymore. You never know. That's yeah. that how I was. Yep. Yep. 
And last one here, do you have a bucket list? I do. Um, my bucket list, the main thing on my list is uh, to get to Africa. My wife and I would like to get to go home, go to the motherland and, and yeah. just see things for myself there. And uh, also go to the Holy Land. Those are those are bucket list things that there I you have. Go. Have you completed anything on the on the list yet? Uh, you know what? We travel pretty frequently, um, uh, and I, you know, I just live a blessed life. There you go. You know, it's it's. I, I live a blessed life, and I've been so fortunate and so blessed, and I I, I, enjoy, I enjoy as every moment. They say this is not a dress rehearsal, so I, I try to live every moment as though, you know, say one day it's gonna last moment, so live every moment as though it's your last. So indeed. That's what's up. That's what's up. All right, Chief. I appreciate that. That was that was a good conversation. I appreciate everything you you've said to uh to us out here in the audience on the Black and Blue podcast today. And uh, you know, you be safe out there. You got anything you wanna tell my audience on the way out? I just want to uh, reiterate that it's such an honor to be here, man. And I'm so proud of you and the thing that you are doing and the voice that you have out there, uh, that you are being made heard. And, I, you know, I just I just hope and pray that it, it expands even more. And if there's anything I can do to, to help in that process, I'm more than willing to do so. And the folks that tune in and listen to you obviously are great as well. You know, let's do it as professionals, as law enforcement professionals, we have a responsibility to make sure that our profession is looking after our community. So let's not take that, that profession lightly. And those who are out there listening, uh, that, that listen in to Dale Peters and, and know that he's doing great things, partner with him doing the same thing. From our perspective, as black folks that are in movement, make the changes that we know need to be made in our profession. Yep. Appreciate that, Chief. All right. Uh, you go out there and, and enjoy whatever left of the of the good weather that you got out there <laughs> in Illinois. And, uh, yes, and I'll, sir. Yes, I'll sir. Catch you, we got a few weeks. Yeah. I'll catch you soon. All right. Appreciate you. Thank you, sir. Thank Honor you. to be here. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this episode of the Black and Blue Podcast. I want to thank my guests on today's show, Hazel Crest, Illinois Police Chief Mitchell Davis for joining me on today's show. If you guys out there enjoyed this episode as well, make sure you like and subscribe to the Black and Blue Podcast YouTube channel or whatever podcast platform you're hearing my golden voice right now. I'll be back in a couple weeks with another interesting guest. Same black time, same black channel. But till then, now that you already know, stay black in blue. I'll holler at you. Deuces. This has been a Maitre D Entertainment presentation.